0: Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences, and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quinturillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years' experience of mental health, disability, and human behavior. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hi and welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quencharillo, and today I'm really excited. I have a guest from across the sea. So I have with me Michael Baldwin today, who's going to tell us a little bit about himself and do himself a fantastic introduction.
1: Uh, thank you Tara for having me and for um, helping spread the word about our book. Um, it's an honor to be on your podcast.
0: So I'm going to let people know you're in New York at the moment, so you're a few hours behind us, which has been getting our heads around the time difference, haven't we? So thank you so much for getting up early as well to to talk to me. I really appreciate that. So let's start with a little bit about your history. So you have a book that's out, don't you? Every memory deserves respect, but there's a kind of a story and and an adverse experience behind that. Is that something you're comfortable sharing with us, the kind of journey that led to the book?
1: Uh, yeah, I think, um, in fact, uh, the motivation or the, my reason for sharing the story in the book was to, um, hopefully help other people feel more comfortable sharing their own story, um, yeah. Yeah. starting with sharing it with themselves. So kind of facing things for themselves and feeling, um, more comfortable sharing with others and maybe even realizing, Um, that uh, they needed to have someone help them like I did.
0: Yes, yeah. Um, One of the things that I'm always really honoured in my kind of day job as a psychologist but my secondary job as a a podcaster is just how incredibly wonderful it is that people feel able to share their stories, their narratives with me. Um, And one of the things we're going to do today is talk about trauma, aren't we, and specifically we're going to talk about treatment for trauma that you've experienced um, and how great it's been for you. But we're going to also which a scientist and a psychologist loves, kind of talk about well, what is trauma as well, and how does it impact our mind and our bodies and how we can recognize that. Um, are you comfortable letting us a little bit of know about your history that led you to seek treatment for trauma?
1: Yeah. Um so um, and I should let your audience know so this book, Every Memory Deserves Respect, I co-authored with um My uh, co-author, Deborah Korn, who's a um, leading expert and practitioner and clinician um, in EMDR therapy, and she's done it for almost 40 years. Um, So um, it's always nice when she's here. In this case, I'll do my best to be her proxy when it comes to clinical-like or clinically related type questions. So um, in my case, um, I had spent about 22 years seeing over the course of 22 years about seven different therapists. And right. um, that meant I was exposed to talk therapy, yes. CBT therapy, intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy. Um, and uh, over that time period, I was not really getting any kind of su- substantive relief yes. or healing. Yeah. And, and um, the other important thing to note is that none of those therapists ever mentioned the word trauma
0: That's interesting. And none of
1: them were EMDR therapists or knew anything about EMDR therapy, nor did I. Yeah. So when when I was sort of at a nadir, my sister suggested a therapist by the name of Dr. Jeffrey Magnavita. So my co-author was not my therapist. My therapist was Dr. Jeffrey Magnavita. And uh, the first session I had with him, we were doing EMDR therapy, and I'd never heard of it, knew nothing about it, and I. And never, he was the first person to suggest to me that mine was a, my situation was a childhood trauma history. Yes. Story. So um, I, I never thought of myself as a trauma victim or a trauma survivor. And also I didn't really consciously remember uh, some of the things that actually happened to me. So I only had fragments of memories yes. um, that really didn't add up to much or made any sense to me, but, but I had these vivid fragments of memories. And I never really understood why. And in my case, uh, it started. My trauma history started at at a preverbal stage in what Dr. Magnavita would refer to as willful neglect on the part of both of my parents. Right, and um, that consisted of uh, you know stories like um, you know being just unattended in a crib preverbally for you know hours on end, um, which is kind of interesting because you know my background or, or socioeconomic background was you know i was a well-off family and you would think well why would anyone looking at this picture of your family be having any of these issues but maybe 2 years old being left alone in the backyard barefoot with a diaper no supervision and i would wh- find my way out down the back alley out down to the intersection in denver colorado right. and someone would take me up, pick me up a neighbor and bring me back home to the house now today that would be you know you call childhood services, yes. you know, yes. because there's something really going wrong with that house, you know, um, and my abuse was threefold. So I was, there was sexual abuse,
0: right.
1: emotional abuse and physical abuse. And any one of your listeners who knows anything about being bullied knows that you live a life, particularly as a child, um, where you never feel safe, yes. you never feel safe. Yeah. So I had a bully in the form of my brother, my older brother, who was a, a bully at home, And then in school, starting in third grade in private school, I had a bully in our class that, you know, kind of singled me out. And so whether I was home or at school, it was was never, ever a a place of safety or security. Um, I was so rattled as a result of all this going on. I couldn't read. I couldn't focus. Um, My brain was kind of short-circuited. I had intensive Extra tutoring after school. I had to go to reading school. I had math and, and reading tutors on the weekends because I couldn't. I just couldn't operate like you normally would with a normally, you know, normal calm brain. I was also what my mother referred to as accident prone. So I probably had six concussions, same place in my forehead right. uh, by the time I was five. Um, and it's funny. Their their spectacular misattuned remedy for that was to tape industrial carpeting onto my forehead as a child going out in public looking sort of like a freak sort of again a classic example of misattuned parents yes um so that's kind of a snapshot but I, I like to say aside from all that I was fine
0: thank you for sharing that story with us um one of the things that's kind of come from that is Oh, there's so much i could take we'd almost do several episodes here couldn't we but finding that right fit in terms of treatment so there are different types of treatment different treatment modalities different models um but what's really interesting is just what you went through and noticing the change or the lack of change in some areas what led you then to keep seeking out therapy rather than pull away because that was a really interesting question of mine earlier as was I was reading it, about you
1: it's funny um I think I kept seeking because, well, the, the weird thing was uh, what happened for me is, um, you know, w- w- when your circumstances become unbearable,
0: yeah. you create yes. new ones yes.
1: and you create a new persona. So I, my, my survival strategy was all about grandiosity. So I became a status and achievement junkie. And the career I chose, um, you know, it was one achievement: goal set, goal achieve, goal set, goal achieve after another. Um, and my career choice was advertising, which you could argue is kind of a flashy, surfcy, um, sexy kind of you know uh, right. career yep. to have or, or to choose. And you know, I, I had no idea that the trauma was buried. All I knew was that um, I was compelled. To mitigate against probably an unconscious belief that I was unlovable, worthless, no good. So every bit of achievement and status seeking and achieving was meant to sort of mitigate against that core belief.
0: Um, I was going to say, just you stole the words from my mouth. Then, literally, in terms of those kind of core beliefs or schemas about yourself. And
1: so, as an adult, um, you know, my symptoms. You know, included. uh, You know, I I would uh, have recurring. I had two recurring nightmares for forty years that were the same and every bit as terrifying the last time I had them and the first time I had them, um, which which is really really uh, disruptive and and disorienting. Um, Yeah, I I had uh, severe phobias, although at the time I didn't know they were phobias. I just do as a boy. I, I couldn't use a stall in a, in a, in a public restroom. Um, I was af- uh, afraid of heights. Any suggestion in adult life of an intimate relationship with a woman was was absolutely panic-inducing. Right. And the yeah. weird thing about it is, I thought this was just the way that I was. I had no idea that anything in my in, any symptoms in the, in the present day would be related to any kind of childhood trauma in my past. I never made a connection. Um, so it, you know, it, in my adult life, it was workaholic, status achievement junkie, alcohol abuse, and then alcohol and Vicodin abuse, <clears throat> blacking out on a regular basis, not not remembering how I ever how I got home in New York, being out late, um, and uh, I, I was just sort of dissociated, um, and the uh, combination numbing tool of choice was alcohol and Vicodin.
0: So I was just going to say there that kind of for people that are listening that may not understand as well what that term dissociation is is that something you're all right to explain for us as well? For maybe yeah, uh, it's like, funny.
1: There's a there's a uh, in the book your audience you're, they can't see that, but there there's 60 of these, um, and for your audience who's listening, it's a it's a photograph opposite a very little bit of text, and I created those. Um, early on as I was going through therapy with my MDR therapist because I started to understand these concepts, which took me a while to kind of get, and I thought, well, if I don't know what these are, maybe other people don't know either, and I can come up with a visual way to immediately convey things about trauma being frozen in the nervous system, um, things about talk therapy being very ineffective when it comes to trauma um things like uh uh, how we hide parts of ourselves when we learn as children that those parts are not accepted or welcome so um i created uh about 60 of those billboards for the book and um that's actually ironically how the book started because i showed some of them to the therapist he said this could be a book and then at the time he looking back i i must have been crazy because you know All you need to do is go out and find an EMDR therapist who will write a book with you. Someone who you've never met in your life. Someone who knows you, doesn't know you from Adam. Looking back, I must have been out of my mind. And I reached out to everyone. And fortunately for me, Deborah Korn was the partner that decided to commit to the project.
0: And the kind of rest is history. And I guess as well, there's uh, it could be a slight vulnerability in reaching out to people, can't there, as well, that... Oh, absolutely. What was, it, what was it for you that made you want to get this down in writing, that wanted you to, to share this with others?
1: Because I felt like um, by the time I walked into the, therap- the EMDR therapist's office, I, I would like to say that I was, you know, for the women in the audience, I felt like I was emotionally crowning. Yeah. No, I was so... Right for and and at my at an the lowest of low points, ready for and and vulnerable and open and 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 um, needing help so badly, and came to realize pretty quickly that my present day symptoms were related to childhood trauma, sexual emotional, and physical, having had no idea my entire life that the two nightmares I had for 40 years were related to childhood trauma, realizing that my phobias were directly the result. They were just triggering devices for childhood trauma. So I figured if I knew nothing about trauma and I knew nothing about EMDR, having been through 22 years of trying everything I could try, maybe other people didn't either. Yes. And maybe... To me, the the, the linchpin needed to be, it had to be a book that was accessible to the lay public. Yes, because yes. I have read, seen many, many clinical books. And there's lots of them out there. I can't get through the first paragraph. I mean, clinical writing, it's it's sort of like Vulcan writing. You just <laughs> humans humans cannot fathom. You can because you're a clinician, my co-author can, but it's just anathema yes. to the yeah. to the lay public. So I wanted a totally accessible book that was visual because, I'm again, going back to my childhood, I couldn't read, so I was a visual thinker.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: That decoded trauma for the lay public and introduced them to EMDR therapy, which my co-author always refers to as, because she's fluent in all, you know, integrated family systems, IFS and CBT. She knows all of them. She's a practitioner of all of them. But she always says that when it comes to PTSD and trauma, EMDR is the most effective and efficient Trauma informed therapy that she 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 knows of. So, I want to get out to the public.
0: Yes, and we'll come on to the kind of specifics of EMDR as well because I think it's helpful. There will be people listening now, whether they're on the train or they're at home, that go, "What is mdr I haven't heard about it, and why?" Why is it different? Um, but the thing that's really, really struck me then is being able to recognize trauma in the first place then, that how many people maybe in their adult lives are walking around who have had adverse experiences that they've never considered as traumatic and as you say sometimes multiple or we might have vicarious trauma where we've had things we've dealt with ourselves but we're also maybe in in jobs where we're absorbing things or in relationships where we're absorbing things is that ability to recognizing psychologists I'm sure you'll be familiar with this as well um, like to help people understand you know when something is showing up such as trauma how does it impact our thinking how does it impact our mood Um, our physiology as well how do we feel how does our body feel but ultimately then how does that Impact our behaviors. So you've talked about things that have been recurring, such as dreams. I'm wondering, also, you know, some of the behaviors you've mentioned—numbing behaviors, alcohol use, um, drug use—but what might the other signs be for people? Are there other behaviors that you notice in yourself? Oh, yeah. You there's, know, um, in?
1: in fact, um, there's a, there's a, you know, Debbie, my co-author, refers to them, But there's a whole um, like spread about, you know, in the book of behaviors you know grandiosity people pleasing overeating yes. anorexia self injury avoidance refusal to grieve numbing externalizing minimizing attacking or judging others dismissive attitude excessive sleeping overactivity there's a whole litany of them yes um but to use myself as a representative example the trauma occurred so early on beginning preverbally unbearable which is why it gets buried Yes. And that buried trauma is is radioactive and it influences how you see yourself, how you see others, and how you see the world and the choices that you make. Yes. And you're totally unaware that there is someone in the driver's seat that's not you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, um, Debbie always says that, you know, people don't come into her office saying, I want to talk about my um, childhood sexual abuse from age two to three, they come and saying, I can't keep a job. I've had three marriages now that all failed. I'm miserable. I can't, you know, I, I'm, I'm becoming obese, you know, all kinds of things. Yes. It's, it's, it's the most insidious thing. And, and the other thing, uh, part of the decoding had to do with the fact that trauma is a part of life. People think trauma is exclusive exclusively confined to natural disaster um, being held up at a gunpoint, yes. being a veteran in combat. Trauma can be a divorce, yeah. being fired from a job, losing a pet at an early age. And what people need to also rem- remember is so much of childhood trauma, Gabor Mate, I'm sure you've heard of him. He, he has a, a movie that's called The Wisdom of Trauma. And in the very beginning of the movie, he says, 99% of the people who walk the earth and Prince Harry now repeats this quote. of the people walking the earth have some form of grief, trauma or loss they're carrying around with them. And, um, you know, the notion that, um, uh, trauma is a part of life, but the fact that when you're one or six months old or three, your world is tiny and things that an adult might just pass off to a child, particularly a child who may not have strong attachments to any caregiver so they're kind of on their own. Those those things are it's it's volume of eleven versus volume of one that yes. an adult might hear. Yes. And people forget that. So when you're when we talk about childhood trauma, you have to accept the fact that these events, which might otherwise um, be brushed off or just absorbed as an adult, when you're a child, your world is so small; these could be monumental. So it's just it's just even more amplified, these daily life occurrences, losing a grandparent, losing a parent, you know, all kinds of things. So that was one of the main sort of broad strokes of the decoding was trauma is a part of life. And I don't know anyone who doesn't have a trauma story in some way, shape, or form.
0: I think that's probably the most profound thing people are going to have heard in relation to trauma because you never see that spoken about on social media you don't see it when you know trauma is portrayed in movies for example is that you know there is almost so this really rigid view that you have to have been through a certain type of event to be trauma and sometimes people I've certainly had patients who say they feel guilty or shameful even considering their situation as trauma because people have been through so much more and would this meet criteria if we're thinking about kind of diagnostic categories so how refreshing to have someone say it so succinctly as well. You know, really and yeah, and
1: I'll give you, I'll give you uh, another one, which, which, if you scratch the surface of society at large, yes. is in fact my experience, a very pervasive, pervasive uh, phenomenon: bullying.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Cyberbullying, social media bullying. Yes. It doesn't always have to be physical bullying.
0: Absolutely. I mean, these yes. days in
1: in my country, you know, the whole crucible called high school. Yes. is such a gauntlet yeah. today. Yeah. And there's, you know, teenage suicides are just outrageously high now. Yes. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And, you know, that is a, you know, y- 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 you look at that, those statistics and say, well, that obviously that's a profound traumatic reality that has tragic consequences in our country. You know, yes. that's not being a Vietnam veteran. That's not surviving a tsunami. Yes. That's not you know that's surviving. True. It's not a car crash. And It's every bit as traumatizing.
0: Do you know what's just come to mind for me as well? Is just helping other people. <laughs> to be aware of how somebody may impacted by what they've gone through. So um, I do a lot of work with people where they've had perhaps minimizing or they've been invalidated in terms of their experience. Um, and when you think of, you know, very small children trying to explain to people what they've been through, quite often they can be in receipt of, it may be a very British thing as well, but, you know, it's fine, stiff up a lip, we're fine, just get on with it. That's nothing to worry about. But actually how many people listening to this today, it might make them think, what their colleagues been through what their child might have been through you know trying to look at this more compassionately because sometimes it can be hard to speak out but if you're not met with someone that's willing to hear and I guess in your journey you've had therapists you've been able to find someone it sounds like where you had the perfect fit and the perfect treatment as well you've got that nice stable therapeutic relationship which is also important but uh, people that may want to be reaching out but feel that they shouldn't do because they're kind of society around them or their immediate significant others are I think perhaps sometimes preventing them for doing that because they're not understanding. This can't be trauma. Why do you need to see a therapist for that? That's We all go through that. And I'm just thinking of the example through high school. So even over in the UK now, certainly things have changed. I have a teenage son who's going through the equivalent of high school over here. Culture's really changed since I was there. You know, we, we say we have a huge issue with, with teenage suicides in the UK as well. And I think that's a really important thing to consider, isn't it? What are we looking at yes. for in other people?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%.
0: Yeah. So when you finally found the kind of the right fit, that right model for you, and I think that's really important as well. So one of the things I like to do in my job is to help people make informed choices about the right therapist and the right therapy. I think it's important to distinguish the two things as well. Um, But it sounds like you had that right fit. Are you okay telling us a little bit about what is EMDR? Because some people may have heard of it, but don't really know what it is and why it is different.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and again, it's one of the times where I wish Debbie were sitting next to me because <laughs> yeah. she she would take the question. But I've heard her talk, you know, since we met, you know, almost five years ago. That I think I can do a fairly good journeyman's job of, of answering that, and also from so, the
0: lived experience as well. Which yeah, I'm yeah. So, important. so it starts yeah.
1: with um, this this title. Every memory deserves respect. You can see that's E-M-D-R.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what I will and do, I'll make sure I put screenshots of this in our um, kind of social media when this goes out so people can see. And obviously yeah, and, and that, you know, it's
1: funny, um, uh, you know, I, I've heard and i would learned in publishing, the author often has no say in what the title of the book is. Yes. Yep. Um, I wanted to come up with a set of words that were contextually – correct? So, because EMDR is a memory-based therapy. Yes. But the actual clinical definition is is um, EMDR is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. No one's going to remember that, but it's a memory-based therapy. So every memory deserves respect. And I talk about this in my, in my preface where I think, you know, memories are the caretakers of truth in our lives. So I thought that would be give, give the world a handle to be able to remember the acronym. And so what is it? It is a therapy that was discovered by Francine Shapiro in 1987, kind of accidentally. She was walking through a park and was realizing as she was looking around and her eyes were going back and forth uh, while she was thinking about something that was troubling her at the time, that at the end of that sort of episode, the charge of the upsetting memory was Dramatically mitigated was reduced yes. yeah so and the other thing to keep in mind is people anybody you know those people who may think they know something about emdr usually focus in on what's known as bilateral stimulation yes which is called the desensitization phase but there are eight phases of emdr all of which comprise the emdr therapy model um but the the bilateral stimulation is the point where you are um, led by your therapist back to what's known as a target memory. That's um, maybe you came in and your boss did something that really upset you and and you're sitting with a the therapist that went out. Tara, can you remember when do you, what's the earliest memory you have of feeling this way? Cause you're very upset right now. And let's say it, it, it's something that happened, you know, in a, in your childhood with a, with a parent or an aunt or a sibling or something. And then, okay, let's, <clears throat> let's start with that. And then, you know that memory is really uh charged um let's say your mother you know locked you in your room or something and then the bilateral stimulation begins in sets of 30 or i mean 30 uh, 60 seconds or 90 seconds and because
0: um, this is a, a audio podcast hmm. what you're doing now the benefit the listeners is just moving, two moving fingers two fingers left, left, and right.
1: left and right and and you know there are many ways to do this alternating stimuli. Yes. One is withholding uh, buzzing paddles in your hands that alternate buzzing. right? Um, or Harry, Prince Harry, does the thing with his two hands on his chest and he alternates tapping his own yes. uh, shoulders with his hands. Or they have a light bar where the light bar goes back and forth. Yes. But they all are designed to create this bilateral stimulation. And <clears throat> that's the part where the target memory, the earliest memory you can come up with it, where this distress, uh, with traumatic memory exists is diffused. So much of the charge, the emotional charge just kind of evaporates in the process. Now, in my case, um, when I started out with the MBR therapist, much of the initial work was on the, the extent of the neglect, yes, loneliness, and, and fear and longing yeah. Yeah. and grief that I never knew I even had. And I best way to explain it is if like there was a dam always up since those, all those things accrued through childhood. And the EMDR therapist just punched a hole the size of a door in the bottom of the dam. And it just started flowing out in incredibly emotional, almost like uh-huh. convulsively emotional yeah. Yeah. episodes. So, so um, we It's been there all that time, and it's as I said before, it's it's perfectly preserved. Um, Trauma gets perfectly preserved in your and locked in your central nervous system, unless and until, hopefully, with an EMDR therapist, you can uh, uh, revisit that traumatic memory through EMDR and have all the charge come up and out and through you, and then it's gone. You still file. The who, what, where, when, why into your long-term memory, but all that charge that has been causing you symptoms as an adult goes away.
0: It's a really good descriptor, that isn't it? It's a really powerful word, charge.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's kind of what it feels like. It, there's in the book, it, there's a picture of a set so of clippers clipping. It's a bomb, you know, clipping the wire to defuse the bomb. But that's what it's like, it's because it's it's this radioactive emotional content that's sitting locked in your nervous system
0: and while it's locked and, in there what is it leading to historically in terms of those behaviors <laughs> you know the numbing
1: oh a- absolutely yes. but not, not only numbing is why does tara have, why is she on her third husband who's abusive to her uh, because yeah. you know maybe her trauma history is about abuse and you know uh, i i think the, cl- the clinician would say yeah. that we're unconsciously attracted to the familiar yes so we, you're attracted and you're know, reattracted to the, to the familiar, which has to do with abuse. That's what you know. That's what you're familiar with, and that will continue to drive your choices unless until you diffuse that very unprocessed trauma, traumatic memory.
0: Is it all right to ask for people listening what kind of length of time is involved in terms of your their therapy? Because that's always in my, in, in my case,
1: um, and I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm. I think Debbie says. it's it's usually longer than you think, but it's always, you know, worth it. But, and, uh, I'm now thank God, I hope I didn't misrepresent that. (laughs) In my case, it was two years. Uh, in my case, it was also kind of unusual because I lived in New York city and this EMDR therapist, um, was in Connecticut.
0: Right.
1: So it was 110 miles. So I would drive and I would go for, um, uh, back to back extended sessions. Yes. Um, and, uh, the great thing about the process is sort of like puff the magic dragon, you know, you to say wait a minute, I don't I don't want to be here with this dragon anymore. I feel like I want to go on and move on to other things. Yeah. Because another way to think about it, when I have friends who have come to me who have been in talk therapy for 10 years. Wow. And have cut the cord and have gone to um, see EMDR therapists that in 55 cases, my co-author has recommended, God bless her, um, and have been gone on to have revelatory experiences, transformative experiences. But one way to think about it is, you you come to an EMDR therapist like a mechanic, like taking your car in. Who do you know that leaves their car in the shop for 10 years? I don't know anyone who leaves a car you go in you get the brake fix and it's you time, take car up to, yeah <laughs> yeah because I think you know you're meant to go and live your life yes. you know you pull this the the, the the thorn from your side you take the stone from the shoe and then you're meant to go and live your life
0: that's a really interesting point then isn't it in terms of obviously when people are going through any psychological treatment it can be really hard work you know it can be exhausting sessions are exhausting there can be things you've got to really in my kind of line of work we say lean into some stuff that you've perhaps been avoiding knowingly or unknowingly um is why why go through all that probably sounds like a really silly question but for you what were you hoping to get from that change then from doing that work
1: well i'll tell you for me um there was a tipping point um so as i mentioned earlier i was on this Status and Achievement Junkie Workaholism
0: path. Right, yes.
1: And uh, I had a a job at at an advertising agency called Ogilvy & Mather, which they have an office in London, in Canary Wharf. And I had wanted to work at this agency in the New York office my entire advertising career. was like going to, you know, ending up at Juilliard or Harvard. Yes. And I finally got there. And after seven years, because of an account change... Um, which happens all the time in advertising. It's sort of like musical chairs. And the, if the music stops and you aren't assigned to account, an account, you, you, you have no job. Right. So I was laid off in New York and the wheels completely just came off. Right. Everything. My sta- high status job was gone. My, my ability to mitigate against feeling unlovable and worthless and no good. By virtue of that job and career was gone. And I started, you know, kind of a a race for the bottom thinking I was going to end up penniless and homeless on the street, sold my apartment, sold my car, resigned from the clubs. I You know, just kind of this massive retrenchment going on. And uh, I was really, really at a low point. And uh, so in answer to your question, what did I want? I, I, I wanted relief. And I didn't even know what the source of the problem was yes i just know that i was going downhill fast and and i i just had to do something and i i as i said i had been through seven other therapists in 22 years none of them mentioned the word trauma and none of them were emdr therapists
0: which that in itself i find really quite astounding that that you know we were talking don't we just before we hit record we were talking about you know New terminology for old terms, and people talking about being trauma informed now, and how you know more of those discussions, and, and it being talked about in social media might help people because it is quite incredible that therapists wouldn't have that as something as part of. their program. Yeah, well, even today, um,
1: if you go to you, you know, let's take the lay public. I yeah. went to a cocktail party in New York yeah. in the city. Half the people, if not more, I, I promise you, will have never heard of EMDR.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and that's why you know the ultimate goal of this book, uh, is to finally pierce the zeitgeist. Yes. You know, I know what an ATM is. I know what CBT is. um, I know what EMDR is, you know, that we're trying to finally pierce the zeitgeist. And, um, you know, the publisher that, that we have is a wonderful, wonderful publisher, and they're really, really good at, at doing that. Yes. and um, so we feel we have a really good partner in in the, in the you know in, in terms of the publisher, um, but it's um, it's still a matter of uh, I mean I'm I'm putting a book today in a, in in an envelope to to Terry Gross who's the host of a program on NPR called Fresh Air right I'm a huge huge fan of and to see if maybe I can get her attention um, yes. Uh, and I, you know, I sent books out to uh, maybe 25 celebrities who have gone on record in public talking about their own trauma history.
0: Right. Yes.
1: Um, one is a Brit, um, Jamil. Uh, someone Jamil. I can't think of her first name. And uh, she she did a radio show in the UK. Um, not that recently, but it was wonderful talking about trauma yes. and EMDR therapy. So we're we're the goal is to pierce that zeitgeist and make this as mainstream as other things. For example, you know, no one ever used to go into a restaurant um, with any of your servers concerned about food allergies. Well, now, you you know, you get the question when you sit down at the table. Does anybody have any food allergies you know about? You know, well, that that was a piercing. That was a breakthrough. So we're looking for the same thing. Why? Because... So many people deal with trauma and maybe don't know it. So many are miserable and don't know why. And EMDR, according to my co-author, is the most effective and efficient way to heal people who are suffering from trauma, childhood trauma, PTSD, whatever.
0: And we were also talking about this. I should always hit record right at the beginning, never when we're ready to. But we were actually talking kind of off air as well, weren't we, about evidence-based, Psychologists love and evidence-based. And that's something yes. we're going to make sure that we put in the show notes as well. So, if, you know, part yes. of people making an informed choice, especially when you may have had a childhood or an adulthood where you've had control taken away from you, you've had adverse experiences what you do have in your control is you know how and when you find the right therapy for you and knowing what the right therapy looks like and what the evidence a lot of people out there on social media are advertising all sorts of revolutionary new ways of dealing with mental health especially off the back of the pandemic i see it a lot it's how how does a lay person how does a member of the public know i struggle sometimes as a <laughs> quite a veteran psychologist to know oh there's something new out how do we know what this is where's the evidence base so we'll make sure and you've got some great links that you can send me um yes that We'll put that in the show notes for people. This yes. isn't just talking about a therapy, but it's an no, no, evidence-based. Evidence-based.
1: Treatment. It's been yes. thirty plus years. Um, there's a book um, called "The Body Keeps the Score" by yes. um, Bessel I'm van der Kolk. I'm working who's my way effect- through
0: that right now because yeah. colleague okay. it, It's a tough. It's a.
1: It's a tough read. It is. Um, I've uh, had to do it in
0: chunks for that reason. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep.
1: And uh, and we kind of think that ours is a perfect companion for that book. Bessel van der Kolk. For those of you listening who don't know who he is he's the founder of the trauma institute in boston and he's probably the most he's probably the you know the authority on trauma yes, yeah and fortunately he's a colleague of my own co-author so
0: right in our book
1: he was kind enough to give us a wonderful wonderful endorsement of our book Fantastic. which is on the cover of the book yes um his book has been in the york times bestsellers for like 200 plus weeks wow. it's a phenomenon unto itself um and uh as far as you're talking about other forms like IFS and CBT and um, IS, short-term intensive dynamic psychotherapy, my EMDR therapist was fluent, as Debbie, my co-author, is in all forms yes. of, the, of those therapies. Yeah. And they, he, Dr. Magnita, my therapist, he brought them all to bear in for me. And at the same time, we did EMDR every time I saw him. Yes. So it was in compliment or he, he complemented EMDR with other things, other forms of therapy, which he used, um, IFS being one of them, um, as does Debbie. But uh, Debbie will tell you that what is her favorite tool in the toolbox? What is the most efficient and effective tool in the toolbox for her for PTSD and trauma at TMDR? Yes. And there's plenty of evidence-based, and I'll send you, as I mentioned, in the before we turn hit the record button, um, Debbie just submitted a wonderful, wonderful article, which kind of, um, collates all the latest evidence-based research about um, PTSD and veterans is from yes. US, uh, U.S. Veterans Magazine. PTSD and veterans in EMDR,
0: and we'll make sure we put those links in as well. So, one of the things that I'm thinking about is value living. Then, so you've been through your EMDR, you've noticed a difference. Is it all right to tell us, you know, how has life been different? What have you noticed in terms of some of those symptoms, some of the behaviors that we were talking about pre-therapy?
1: So, the best way I can describe this is pre therapy. Again, taking into account that I, I, I was not giving up, I kept trying one form of therapy and therapist after another, a total of seven over 22 years. Um, my, for lack of a better way to describe it, operating system was fraught with fear and anxiety yeah. and uncertainty. Uh, and apprehension, and a, and a core belief of being worthless and no, unlovable and no good. That was the that was the uh, the basic uh, characterization of the operating system I was operating on every day. Yeah, EMDR allowed me to trade that operating system in for a new one. Right. That was free of all of those things. Yeah. So I was able to wake up and just be, yeah. and not wake up. I mean, when I was in college, I remember I'd wake up with this overwhelming sense of dread, and what is wrong with me? Why? And dread is a is kind of a funny thing. It's just, it's sort of like having you know uh, someone put a like a, 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 a bedspread over you that's made of lead. Yeah, it's just a very heavy, a
0: good pervasive. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's just a very heavy. Like, what is wrong? New operating system? None of that. And and also. Um, you know, being able to have intimacy with friendship, friendships, being able to know mm-hmm. that the uh, uh, character uh, and integrity of a friendship can sustain arguments. When I was, yes. before therapy, I was afraid if I ever had any, with a friend, I would an argument with a friend, I would lose a friend. But the most profound example I can give you is, as I mentioned earlier, my brother growing up was a terrible bully, physical mm-hmm. bully. Yeah. I was terrified of him every waking moment right. in, in my young life. We had no relationship our whole lives. And I, I was convinced I never would have a relationship with him. When the book was about to be published, my therapist said, you have to let your brother know you can't surprise him. There could be legal exposure. We don't know. You have to tell okay. him. Right. Yes. So I reached out to him and he actually reached back to me and said, you could say whatever you want about me. If this means that maybe we might have a chance to have a relationship as brothers, I, nothing would bring right. me more joy. And he asked me if my co-author Deborah Korn could recommend an EBR therapist for him, yes. which she did a year and a half ago. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, by way of my EMDR journey and his, we took our first trip together as brothers. Wow, And that the week, the Monday of the week, we did it was his 70th birthday.
0: Wow,
1: And to me, it's nothing short of a miracle. We yep. took a trip um, with his two daughters, which I was invited to join in on. And we actually we were an Airbnb. We actually had to share a room and bunk beds like when we were kids. Right. And every night I remember he'd close the door, he'd get the top bunk, he'd turn the light out, we'd talk for a minute. And then I would just lie there. As if I was being bathed in in this sort of uh, uh, nourishing uh, rays, because I was with my brother, I finally was having a relationship with this person that I wanted and yearned for my whole life, but never had. Yeah. And it was the most incredible experience. And um, this may sound weird, but um, the most intimate relationship I have right now is with my brother. Wow. And one little side sort of side note was ironically the week we spent together, he happened to meet a woman who he's been dating for, you know, know, it'll be a year on his next birthday and it's going really, really well. And um, I think, well, she has the advantage of meeting someone who wasn't the person I grew up with. Yes. This is a different, this is the real person. Yeah. So to me, you know, when, because I, a lot of people, I, talk, well, I don't talk to my siblings, I don't talk to my parents, I'm, you know, I, never, I never see my, my, my brother or my sister, and I don't, I don't talk to my father. I hear a lot of that from people. And I think a lot of that has to do with trauma-related dynamics that prevent what otherwise could be what finally I'm having with my brother in my life for the very first time in my life. It's great, enormous satisfaction.
0: Absolutely. I just want what a lovely image. Thank you. I mean, am really grateful that you felt able and safe enough to share that here. Because we were talking about safety, weren't we? And I'm just thinking that image of you in that bunk bed, presumably safety being a key part yeah. there, the feeling yes. safe and feeling no carried.
1: terror, not being afraid. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just just it's like being embraced. Yes. It was like yeah. being in an embrace. And what does an embrace do? It's a it's a Steady state of just feeling, you know, loved, yeah. and also feeling my own love for my own brother, and yes. you know, which could never have been expressed, and you know, ever when were, we were kids.
0: So, when so we it's your journey, not only in terms of how the physical and emotional symptoms have changed, but also what it's meant for valued living, then connecting with people, purpose. You're a really established leader in the communications industry, aren't you? You know, on kind of multiple levels. It isn't just about relationships, how you live your life. And there may be people sitting here now listening to this podcast going, but it's too hard, therapy's hard. How do I find the right one? Am I going to be able to do this? But just perhaps hearing someone who's gone through that, done the hard work, it's not easy, is it? Delving into your past. It's not easy sometimes being vulnerable with someone. And we're very privileged as therapists that people feel able to do that. But just, you know, if someone can take something away from this, knowing A, what trauma is, how to recognize it, what it is and what it isn't. But
1: if you'll if, if you, if, if does it, let me read
0: yes.
1: a, a, a few sentences from my preface from the book.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Our memories, even fragments of memories, are clues, like a trail of breadcrumbs. They might be incomplete or confusing at first, but if we have the courage to face the ones that scare us the most, they can lead to discoveries that will free us. Our memories are the caretakers of truth in our lives, and every memory deserves respect. So, it is not easy. Um, it's not free, by the way. You know, it has to be paid for, covered by insurance or not. Yes. But, 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 there's just no comparison between I'm miserable and I'm, I'm having the most wonderful experience with a brother I never had before. Yeah. You know, there's no comparison mm-hmm. in my brother's case where, you know, I'm divorced. I have two daughters and, and now I have the, my wonderful two daughters and now I'm seeing the wonderful woman and we're having a, you know wonderful relationship. You know, and I think Amdar has also helped um, give him uh, a really relaxed and, and, and close relationship with his ex-wife. Yes. So yes. the thing is it, it's, the fear of facing is worse than the facing.
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: And the benefit and the dividends are multifold. Uh, and as I said earlier, I think if I talk about Dr. Magavita, my therapist, he very much, I, I would say, is of the philosophy, you you, you bring yourself in, We we, we together get to get do this work and then you go on and live your life
0: Yes. now I the stones to... out
1: of the shoe that the thorns out of your side you'll go and live your life your head is I'm above water take
0: that with me they literally yeah. that kind of thorn out and what do you do next you know, yeah the world's your oyster sounds a bit cheesy doesn't it but i like that no
1: no But, that, but it's funny when I, when I say your head's above water because yeah. when you when you're operating in a world where you're where trauma buried trauma is dictating yeah. how you see yourself how you see the world and the choices you make, your head's above, your head's underwater. Yeah. You take the stone from the shoe, you take the thorn from the side, you remove and process those traumatic memories. All of a sudden, you can see clearly your head's above water. I don't want to be married to that person. I don't want this job. Yeah. I want to be married to this person. I want to be doing this with my life. You know, you're finally able to cl- see clearly where the windscreen, as Harry said, Prince Harry said, is, is has been cleared. Yeah. So you're clearly seeing through the quote unquote windscreen, you know, that, that you look that that is in front of you in your life.
0: Which allows for curiosity and what do I want to do? What don't I want to do? That's right,
1: and discovery. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Now I always ask everyone for a little adversity takeaway. We've had a million already, but if there was one little nugget that you could leave us with, what might sure. that be?
1: Uh, I feel pretty strongly about this one. And and that nugget would be don't wait. And what do I mean by that? When I was, uh, well, let's see. Um, when I uh, was in my 20s, doc, uh, Dr. Fran- Francis Shapiro had not discovered EMDR. So it was not out there. It wasn't available. It wasn't developed. It wasn't evidence-based. Today, you have 30-plus years evidence-based. You know, you have an organization called EMDRIA, org, which is a global organization where you can go on there Put your zip code in or your, your location and, and, you know, enter what kind of insurance you have and you can find the e- certified e-enterotherapist yes, in your that's a
0: really good part of the world. Point. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so when I say don't wait, if you are suffering, if someone you know is suffering and maybe and I think which is often the case, don't know why. Don't wait. Reach out. If, you, if, you know, if, if I asked you, if we're sitting in the house looking at a, a driveway three feet deep in snow... I said, you've you got a choice. You can either take this spoon or you can take the snowblower. Which one do you want? Yeah. Take the snowblower. EMDR is like the snowblower. It clears all that out. And then you can get the car out of the garage and go where you want to go.
0: Go and do that exploring.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Now, people are going to want to hear more from you. So obviously, I'll have all of this in the show notes. But where do you hang out? Where can, Where can people find you? The
1: best way to find me and my co author, Deborah Korn, is uh, everymemorydeservesrespect.com. And there's, um, we're constantly working on the website. They can subscribe if they go to the site, which would be wonderful. We do um, uh, monthly uh, missives to the, all the subscribers, which is wonderful. Um, and uh, there's tons of resources. In fact, I, I mentioned in the book, there's a whole chapter on how if you think you're ready? How to approach and how to find better, yes. which what's a therapist? What question to ask? Uh, it's a very sort of take you by the hand section in the book. But there's resources. There's um, we've done nearly at this point, you know, sixty podcast interviews. And they're all there. So there's a, a wealth of information. Um, and there's also a wonderful picture of Debbie and myself, which we finally got taken after like four and a half I've years. That. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And and it, I was so happy. Um, Debbie's brother doesn't like it. Uh, I've heard of it. I like I it. It looked
0: wonderful. very relaxed. It didn't look like yeah. a go-to shoot photo. Yeah. yeah. So
1: I would say just um, every memory deserves respect. and you and you can also reach out to uh, you can uh, contact us through the website. So I would say that's the one place they need to go.
0: Well, I had a good old nosy before I interviewed you to kind of have a look around and what I really love is it's very easy to navigate but there's a lot of resources on there as well not only in terms of how to find an EMDR therapist which is a subject close to my heart how to find a properly qualified and regular you don't want to be messing around with trauma with someone who's not appropriately qualified and that's no. never say that enough um, but also that there's a load of resources on there for people as well which I think might help people with that first step as well because there's a really lovely um Section you have, you know, how do you even recognize what trauma yes. is, and then helping people think right back, and I think that's really helpful. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Should we let our listeners know? I did make a school schoolgirl error, didn't I, in terms of the time difference? So you've really bared with me today. <laughs> so thank you so much, because obviously New York, Not you're behind, pleasure. and I didn't realize that the clocks changed. No, Tara, this is it's an honor <laughs> to
1: be a guest, and I, I again, I wish my co-author could be here. And you know, you are profoundly. Um, helpful by having me on your program on your podcast because you're helping to spread the word about the book which we feel so many people want to have in their hands.
0: Even if somebody now who wasn't sure before they're reaching out, presses the button and clicks on your website and learns more, we've done our job. And and there will be loads of people that will be mulling this over. Hopefully they can talk to other people about it. It's that, you know, want to normalize people talking about their experiences, don't we? Exactly. Thank you so much, Michael. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for coming Thank you, Tara. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast helping you one step at a time.